The scarcity of high-quality tissue needed to advance research efforts for a rare disease such as leiomyosarcoma is a major challenge. Tissue banking, the practice of collecting tissue samples from patients all over the country and bringing them to one location for researchers to access, brings hope to the advancement of this disease. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. John Brooks, Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania Medical School and Pathology Chair and Director for Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at Pennsylvania Hospital. Dr. Brooks is also the current president of the American Society for Clinical Pathology. Welcome, Dr. Brooks. Glad to be here. Today we are discussing the leiomyosarcoma tissue bank. Dr. Brooks, what is a tissue bank? A tissue bank is basically a repository of tissues from a variety of patients who've had their tumor removed. So, for example, if a tumor was removed in the suburbs around the city in a variety of, you know, 10, 15 hospitals, those folks, you know, don't have the resources to collect those all in one place. So what one would do is uh, set up a tissue bank and uh, request those tissues. Now, what do we really need a tissue bank for? Yeah, good question. You know, basically a tissue bank provides the infrastructure for any research. So if anybody was going to research leiomyosarcoma, for example, and its molecular basis, uh, maybe the genes that drive leiomyosarcoma to metastasize, they would need the tissue. If the tissue is scattered all over the country in, in all of these uh, different hospitals, that's very hard to do. Uh, certainly some places like Memorial, Sloan Kettering, and MD Anderson see more than most, but these are still uncommon tumors, and it really does help to bring it all together in one place. And then uh, research projects would be uh, approved for the use of such tissue. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Would you tell us what exactly is a leiomyosarcoma? Sarcomas are the tumors of mesenchymal or supporting tissues of the body, and they can occur actually anywhere. While they mostly occur on the extremities, uh, head, neck, and retroperitoneum, they can occur in organs, too. You can get a sarcoma in the liver, a sarcoma of the heart, etc., or, you know, breast sarcomas. They are divided into about nine different kinds, and, for example, some are skeletal muscle origin. We call those rhabdomyosarcomas. The smooth muscle origin ones are leiomyosarcomas. But the you know, fatty tumors, they'd be liposarcomas and so forth. I, I might add that you know, while sarcomas are about a 1% of all cancers, they give pathologists and actually treating physicians a lot of problems and issues, recognizing them, how to deal with them, that type of thing. And, and there's probably around 12,000 in the country every year. So you know, not too many. And with nine types and 100 subtypes, uh, it's a complicated business. So why do we need specifically a leiomyosarcoma tissue bank? Amount of research done on sarcomas uh, in America is really even out of proportion to its 1%. In other words, 1% of the NIH budget is not for sarcomas. Neither is the amount of money that individuals can raise to support in any individual hospital. So the, the people with leiomyosarcoma wanted more research done, and one way to accomplish that was to establish a bank 
and then tell researchers capable of analyzing genes that the bank was available. Well, how did uh, this bank get started? Through a Lyme myosarcoma foundation, actually. Uh, a bunch of folks got together, made their own board, and, of course, nowadays can communicate with these through the Internet. Uh, this type of thing would have been much harder 15 years ago. But all sarcoma patients are actually talking to each other over the net and participating in uh, their own banks, um, you know, if they don't have lyomyosarcoma, have another type of cancer. Well, how long has this lyomyosarcoma foundation been in existence? Probably uh, five to six years. I have had this grant to make this repository for a couple of years now. And, of course, the, the trouble with setting anything up, and I'm sure we're all familiar with this, is the paperwork. Banking is very controlled because of patient confidentiality issues. So there's HIPAA regulations, uh, informed consent, all these have to be faxed to people who, you know, either them or their family are, are you know, already having difficulty. And, uh, but nonetheless, they all really want to participate. This is really driven by the patient side. So these are very much regulated by the government? Well, in, in the sense that you must go through an IRB, Institutional Review Board, at your own institution, uh, and that is also uh, reviewed externally as well. And you, you need to be doing this uh, properly and not giving out people's names with the tissue. So, for example, if we were going to give out research tissues to a researcher looking at uh, gene expression, for example, he would get numbers, you know, lyomyosarcoma number one, number two, number three. He would not get patient name, et cetera. That's called, you know, anonymizing the tissue. Tell us about sarcomas in general. You mentioned before that they're certainly not frequent. Correct. Uh, they're uncommon, but uh, I think it is important for your audience to have some idea of them because they can get you in trouble medico-legally. Uh, so the, the, the average sarcoma develops in a deep location uh, in the muscle below the fascia. Uh, and if you have a mass there or you suspect something there, I would really worry about it and send it to someone who's going to biopsy, preferably like a needle biopsy. The more superficial lesions uh, in the subcutaneous region, of course, most of those are going to be lipomas. Uh, that's where lipomas typically occur. However, if it's not, you know, if it's a bit harder than a lipoma, again, I would worry and have it needle biopsy because they also can be sarcomas. And the trouble is, and, and I have seen in, in my own uh, practice a number of cases in which, uh, you know, people basically uh, uh, missed this and uh, the patient, uh, you know, went for quite some time prior to diagnosis. So, you know, it's not something you want to put off if you have a concern. Now, can you make the diagnosis reliably through a fine needle aspiration? Actually, yes. Uh, most of the time, you can say that it's a sarcoma. Sometimes you'll say it's a, you know, it turns out it's a lymphoma. But if it's a sarcoma, you'll be pretty sure of that. And also, uh, I, I won't say pretty sure, you are sure of that. And typing, that is subtyping as to smooth muscle, lyomyosarcoma or liposarcoma, might have some difficulty. But that's enough to tell them that it's a low-grade lesion or a high-grade lesion. The surgeon will then approach it accordingly. How frequent is a sarcoma compared to a carcinoma? Carcinomas, of course, are probably 90-ish percent of all tumors, uh, followed by probably lymphomas, then melanomas, and then the 1% are sarcomas. Just as a comparison, breast cancers, 150,000 or more per year new cases. 
And oddly enough, it, it, they're, while they're you know, aggressive lesions, 85% of breast cancers are a single type, invasive ductal carcinoma. Compare that to the 1% of tumors of the body, the sarcomas, you have nine types, but 100 different subtypes. And those subtypes can be quite different one from another. So, for example, a botryoid rhabdomyosarcoma has a good prognosis, an alveolar rhabdomyosarcoma has a very poor prognosis. So even with, and, and they look quite different one from another, even the rhabdomyosarcomas. So uh, this is why uh, in most cases, the slides will be sent to an expert. Another thing I'd like to add to your audience is that in the pathology laboratory in general, when a pathologist has a question, he often sends that case to an expert uh, on his own and waits for the result you know, within a few days. So that happens all the time in the mail uh, across America. Now, speaking as a surgeon who, at one of my hospitals, which is a community hospital, I've been humbled many times in that many of the sarcomas that I've come across, I did not expect to be sarcomas. In other words, I thought perhaps these were lipomas or fibrolipomas, and I resect them, and I find out them to be fibrosarcomas or liposarcomas or the such. What can you comment upon that? It's actually a common scenario. Nobody expects something that's relatively rare. Uh, the only thing you can do is have it in mind when you're potentially entering such a surgical field, and if it looks at all different you know, from your usual lipoma or inclusion cyst, for example, if it's up near the skin, then you know, exercise extra caution and proceed accordingly. You know, the pathologist will have the diagnosis, and then you know, it becomes a question as to whether you want to treat that locally yourself or if it's near other vital structures, uh, you know, major nerves or arteries or what have you, uh, maybe a sarcoma orthopedic oncologist, for example. Now, finally, can you tell us about the Sarcoma Foundation of America? Yeah, the Sarcoma Foundation of America was basically born uh, with the idea in mind that more research had to be done on sarcomas and not enough was happening nationally. The individual institutions were each doing what they could, but there was no organization or no, no uh, private research money funneling into the system. So that's why it got started. It has now blossomed incredibly in these uh, five or six years to the point where there's a big gala event in New York City each May and it alone raises uh, nearly a half a million dollars for sarcoma grants. And, of course, throughout the year, uh, many other events. So individuals with different sarcoma types, they may be sarcoma, alveolar soft part sarcoma, clear cell sarcoma, liposarcoma, each can have their own organization but come under this tent increasingly, the Sarcoma Foundation of America, to funnel grant money through our grant mechanism. We have a group of national experts from uh, countrywide, both surgeons, you know, medical oncologists, radiation therapists, etc., just the who's who in the country, and they look over the grants and score them appropriately, very similar to an NIH grant, for example. And why do you think that it took so long to develop the Sarcoma Foundation of America? Uh, I think it came as a result of a, what was perceived as a failure of the national oncology groups. The national oncology groups, like ECOG and SWOG, Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group and Southwestern Oncology Group, certainly deal with a lot of the cancers. 
but they have increasingly uh, dwelt on the larger, better-known cancers, colon, you know, breast, prostate, etc., and very little was being done for sarcomas. It was always the orphan cancer. And I think that basically, you know, began to be quite apparent in the 1990s. And so people said, you know, and that occurred to me too, uh, you know, let, let's start something new and see where that goes. I want to thank Dr. John Brooks, who has been our guest. We have been discussing sarcomas in the Lyomyosarcoma Tissue Bank. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.